everybody. Welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor Marcus Holman. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Studio B. Uh, let's make sure you already know the drill, everybody. Go to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube. Like, subscribe, and follow so that you don't miss one episode of Studio B. Uh, today, as you'll see, we got a different set arrangement. Uh, we got three people on the set today. Uh, to my left, I have Miss Maggie Johnson, uh, who was a guest last week as we were talking about human trafficking, certified Christian counselor uh, for ACBC, mm-hmm. and a member here at the Church of Bethel's family. And to my right, I have Miss Nakia Vestal, who is a self-proclaimed overcomer. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. So, ladies, thank you so very much for joining us here on the set of Studio B. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you guys doing? I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here? Yes. Again. You're happy to be here. All right, good, good, good. (laughs) Well, today we have um, an exciting episode, everybody. We're going to talk about some real issues um, that are going on in our society and oftentimes overlooked that we're not having nearly enough conversation about, and that is human sex trafficking. Um, and we, I'm specifying sex trafficking, uh, but there's been human trafficking since the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible is replete in talking about uh, human trafficking. One of the ones that is always at the top and foremost of every conversation is slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, slaves are just a form of human trafficking. But in today's episode, uh, following what we did last week, this is part two, talking about the ins and outs of sex trafficking and things that we can identify to those who may be in it and how to get out of it. And so I want to kind of aim my first question at my uh, guest here, Miss Nakia. Um, give us a little bit of your story in regards to uh, human sex trafficking. Um, okay, for me, um, it started at a young age. Um, for me, it started as molestation. That was the, the starting point. Um, it started at home. Wow. and. I became very rebellious and very promiscuous as a teenager. Um, at 17, after high, like when I graduated high school, my mom put me out because I was out of control. So for me, I was on the streets. I didn't have anywhere to go. So that's how it started for me. So it started with molestation in your house with another family member? Well, not another family, a friend of a family. A friend of a family mm-hmm. member. Wow. And at what age was that? Nine. So kind of talk about the, the emotional impact of something like that happening to a nine-year-old child? Well, you feel guilt and shame. You, you don't understand what you feel. You're angry. You're violated, so you don't know, like, you don't know who to talk to, what to do, so you act out in other ways. You become violent or you become sexual, you know, overly sexual as a child. Um, just different things like that. You lie, you manipulate, you learn. It's like you're corrupted. You mm. become, you, you're you're corrupt. You know, you become corrupted. So you follow in that behavior. Yeah. So did you have an outlet to that? Was there anybody that you could go and talk to? Because I think a lot of people can even, as unfortunate as it may say to to, to hear this, there are a lot of young people um, who are in that exact same position, Mm -hmm. who get violated um, by people that they trust in their own household, friends, associates. Now, did you have anybody that you can go and talk to about something like that that happened to you? I mean, what what was what did you do after that? I mean, what what happened? Well, a lot of times the predator they'll they will threaten you, so they put fear in you not to not to say anything. 
So they make you feel like you're the one that's doing something wrong and you're going to get in trouble if you speak out. And I think that parents, you should, before this even happens, you should be able to tell your child, don't let nobody touch you here. This is off limits. There are certain parts, you know, of your body that that shouldn't be touched or if anybody make you feel any type of way. So it should start with the parent because the child doesn't know. Mm. Yeah. And so, Maggie, you talked about this last week um, when we were talking about the parent interaction with the child. Mm -hmm. And again, like bringing up our conversation from last week, no no parent um, ever wants to consider the fact that their child um, is engaged in that mm. or even could be privy to it. So um, a lot of parents just simply take the, the approach of, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand mm -hmm. and pretend that it's not there. And a lot of parents, um, and understandably so, because it is a very sensitive issue, um, a very heart-wrenching issue. But to Nakia's point about the parent being more actively involved, we also know that we have people participating in sex trafficking who do, uh, Maggie and Nakia, have two-parent households and come from very, quote-unquote, stable households. Right, right. So how would you address that parent in having those kind of conversations with their children? You know, it, it doesn't get past the basics. Um, you inform a child before something happens that lets the child know that, that a part of, of, of being a parent is to forewarn your child. So you want them to know that even we are, you are being brought up in a very nice, safe environment. The world out there may not be. You may even have family members around you that, may not, that don't make you feel safe. And always leave that door open to communicate anything that's discomforting to you. If anyone threaten you, know that I'm going to be here for you. If anyone say, if, you, if I'm going to harm your family, if I do this to that, you come to me anyway. I'll take that chance of being harmed for you. There are, there are just certain things you need to prepare your child for in the dangerous world that we, which we live in. Don't give your child the, the um, mindset that the world is safe, that people are, are always going to be safe, or that an adult is always right. That, that you can just go to the in any adult and get what you need and never let anyone tell you that your mom and your dad don't care, that you, um, they, they didn't care. If they did, they would have told you about me or they would have prepared you for that. You see, you, you don't, they don't care. And, and don't believe that lie because that's what a, a predator is going to do. He's going to prey on the, the fact that a child is not prepared for them. And fear is always a, a, a motivator for anyone to uh, not do what they, they know that they should do. So human sex trafficking right now is very pervasive mm -hmm. um, and is infiltrating literally every part of our society. Every. From entertainment to political realm, all the way down to your friends in school. Like it is literally... Um, everywhere, And we talked about last week that the global economy for human sex trafficking is about $150 billion. Mm -hmm. You know, 50,000 girls every single year in America are trafficked through these 50 states of the continental U.S. So it's a very, very pervasive problem. But, Nikia, um, if I can direct this to you, the face of human trafficking has changed. Mm -hmm. So it's not the pimp in the Cadillac with the fur on standing on the corner, mm -hmm. kind of watching his girls no more. Uh, we talked about it's the Romeo, it's the CEO. The face of the trafficker has taken on a whole new model now. Mm -hmm. And so how would you 
how would you first identify that trafficker? And then even more importantly, how would you begin to see the signs of somebody who may be involved in human sex trafficking? Okay, um, like I'm going to um, add to what you were saying. It's no longer, I mean, it's always been the pimp, which is the lower end. You know, it's like the, the scum, but people overlook women. You have women that are traffickers oh, well. <laughs> because a girl's going to trust a woman more than she's going to trust a man. With the whole Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein, how he mm. used Gilan to go and get the girls. That's exactly what's going on that people don't realize. Now, could you could you really take a little time and expand on that? Because um, that's something that I hadn't thought about. I know it's out there that you have now female traffickers. Mm-hmm. So expound on that just a little bit more. Well, it's always been female traffickers. People just didn't. It's like the people didn't look at that because women, we know how to, you know, we can say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was him. He forced me. But, no, you do have women because and then a lot of these men will get women that grew up in poverty that you know so it's 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 a money thing so if i can give you more money to go get the girl you know so i don't have to do i don't have to do this anymore let me go and get a girl to do it for me and the more girls i get i don't have to do this and then it's a power thing you feel like oh you know and then you also feel like oh i'm not as sleazy as the guy because i'm not doing it with them but i'm just going to get the girl so it's always been going on in civilization. Mm. It's, it, it was always, you did have a guy, but you had a woman too. And then you have women who they feel like they're so in love with the guy or they can't make it without him that they'll, they'll do anything to keep him. So, so, and that's what we talked about last week when mm-hmm. that connection between that guy and that girl is so strong that the suggestions that he makes to her, she almost feels obligated. Mm-hmm. Right? Because of how much she's involved in that, mm-hmm. so and I know that there are some people that are that are watching and that will be watching, um, especially in this age of you know kind of teenage puppy love, where you know that guy tells you things that make you feel good, he affirms you in areas that you haven't been affirmed in. But that's a very interesting perspective of how a woman could be used to infiltrate into that, into that particular lifestyle because Absolutely. I can, I can kind of see that um, that a woman would trust a woman more than, more easily than she would trust a man. Yes. So kind of speak because I think that that's just a very interesting dynamic that I think needs to be kind of opened up a little bit more. So what would you say to that? Your guard is down. I mean, it's just like if you walk in, when you begin uh, a conversation between people that you don't really know, one of your first things you want to do is to... Uh, have an icebreaker. You're going to tell a joke. So what are you doing? You are setting the audience up to receive the information that you have. So what is that doing? And chemically, it is releasing uh, dopamine uh, Mm -hmm. for you. It's it's releasing that. So when, and then you're taking advantage of uh, the person that you're approaching. A woman is innate that she wants to be loved. So that's what you're going to address. You're going to address her need area. Uh, You know, you've been hurt before. Who hasn't? Uh, You desire to have someone that's going to listen to you at all times. I'm going to be that person. So what are you doing? You are meeting her at her need level. And if she is vulnerable, and everyone will be, uh, be vulnerable, they just may recognize the lies of, uh, sooner. But someone who is in need of finances, they're all ears. Someone that is, is, is has been deprived all of their life or abused all of their lives sexually or, or just battered or just abandoned, 
I'm all ears. I want to hear that someone mm. that's going to have my back, someone mm. that I can talk to, someone that's going to listen to me. And yeah, I might uh, I might lay down my body for for a moment, but wouldn't I do that if I was in the world anyway? So there is a level of um, appeasing the conscience because you do you have to overcome your conscience to a level that that you can move forward if you are a, a, a prayer if you are praying on someone if you have to move forward even if you are a victim yourself but you are uh, as Nikia said you are now uh, comparing yourself with the person that's doing the things that are worse so you don't enter into that category and your conscience is not convicting you at that level that say okay I'm not that bad I have uh, yes I'm, I'm bad but I'm not that bad I can I can compare myself to a say to a to a um, to a level that I can I can be okay with what I'm doing. So let me ask you a question. This is for either one of you. Um, we are living in an over sexualized society right now, mm-hmm. and the dynamic that I'm in right now is I oftentimes get ridiculed because I am looking. At one point in time, we grew up with men who would you know sexually overture a woman, and that was just kind of the norm of the day. But we're now in this society where women have now taken on, to your point, where women are calling each other bees. Women are, you know, are addressing themselves in very derogative manners. Mm-hmm. Um, the music of our day, the Cardi B's, the Megan Thee Stallions, the, you know, the Nicki Minaj's that portray and, and heighten sexual um, activity for a woman to use quote unquote her assets mm-hmm. to get what she wants in this life. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a lot of women standing up against that and and speaking out against that because that's exactly what's going on in our culture. And there are a lot of young girls um, that are listening to these songs that are supposedly being empowered in this so-called sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you guys and either one of you can kind of pick up on this. How much is that playing a part into what's going on with this sex trafficking? Is 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 the over-sexualization of our culture playing a part in the rise of sex trafficking? Of course. It's, the videos, it glorifies it. It doesn't show you what really goes on behind the scenes. It just shows you, oh, I'm all dressed up. I have this money. Everything is rainbows. and No. It's that's what the enemy uses. He uses shiny, pretty things to entice you. But behind the scenes, it's 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 none of that at all. You know, it's violence, STDs. Mm. I mean, it's it's just a lot going on. So that's what the enemy uses. He does. He uses movies and videos. He uses Hollywood to dress it up, to kind of put it in a, a package with a bow on it to make it look so pretty. But once you open that box, it's. It's it's hard. It's you know, it's terrible. That's so. I'm gonna now. This is Studio B. We deal with real issues, mm-hmm. and we bring them back to a biblical perspective. Um, the thing that I am uh, am absolutely I'm not amazed because there's nothing in 2020. It's kind of hard to say that anything shocks you now, mm-hmm. um, considering where we are right now as a culture. Um, but Cardi B has this song with Megan Thee Stallion called WAP. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and for my audience, you go back and you you Google it and do what you need to do. Um, but it has topped the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just topped the charts in America, but in England, New Zealand, 
it has been number one on the charts. Mm-hmm. And in this particular song, to which you can't get 15 seconds into the song without blushing, without cringing, this song is overly, and not just overly, but to the degree that it is poignant to the point, it's not holding anything back. Right. And this type of music is now front and center, and it's not. It, it doesn't even bother people anymore. Mm-hmm. It, 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 yeah. We are so past, and you said that you got to go beyond your conscious to get into it. But we're so past the conscious now to where it's everyday kind of propaganda. It just is what it is. So I want to ask you a question, Nakia, from mm-hmm. somebody that was in, uh, unfortunately in, involved with human sex trafficking. Give us an inside view of what that looks like from from inside the world. What what's going on in your mind? What doesn't what does a day look like? Um. Well, it's all about your, you wake up, it's money. It's it's all about getting money, getting money, getting money, getting more money, which is sad because you're not thinking about values or integrity and all the good things. All you're thinking about is money. Because if I have more money, people will respect me. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a void that you have, whatever void that's missing, instead of replacing it, what's what's true and what's pure and what's good you replace it with if I have more money then people will respect me if I have more money maybe he'll love me more if I have more money maybe my parents will love me more if I have more you know for me it was about money gave me a sense of control mm. and a sense of power it gave it, it was like a false sense of um, it was a false sense of power and control if I have money, people will respect me. I can go in the stores. I can buy whatever I want to buy. Mm-hmm. I can buy this guy whatever, he, you know, so he won't leave me. I can buy him whatever. You know, it, it's, and it does. It starts with, for me, we didn't have Cardi B, but we had MC Hammer. We had Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Luke is like, he's been yeah. doing, you know, Luke was, yeah, Luke started hard, this whole yeah. thing. I mean, Yeah, he really did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it just, it so you felt like, well, if I can be that girl in that video, then people will love me. Or if I can be, you know, this person or if I can look a certain way, people will respect me and love me. And that's where that's what it started for me. That's what happened, you know, for me. So. So, um, Maggie, when you're looking at you do a lot of counseling um, of and we'll talk about the male side of it in just a little bit. Um, because now there's this whole segment into the male side. But um, a little while ago, Sister Nakia spoke on Jeffrey Epstein. When I talk about that this is integrated in every aspect of our society, um, things that are coming out right now are truly shocking. We talked about uh, the bill in California um, of lowering the age of consent, um, being registered as a sex offender in California that passed overwhelmingly in their house. It almost seems like you're swimming upstream mm-hmm. as you're trying to tackle this issue mm-hmm. because it's coming at you from all sides. Right. And so we talked about that. How do you not have it is going to be what it's going to be attitude? Mm-hmm. Uh, sex has been around since the beginning in the foundation of the world. Uh, you're never going to be able to curve people's craving for that and just not taking the attitude of, well, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. How do you attack this thing, and I say attack, from a spiritual side? How do you attack it from a very practical standpoint of those who may, those who may be trapped inside of human sex trafficking? You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's comforting. To and it's them. trapped a good word. It is a trap. Okay. I mean, it's an attendant trap. But 
when we think about, uh, I think about in John uh, 16, is that Jesus has already told us some things that these things are going to happen. It's going to, and, and as, as further we get closer to uh, end times, it's going to escalate. So when I am in the front of someone that, um, that is telling me uh, their story with abuse, I don't have to feel inadequate because I know uh, he's already spoken to it. And he has told me in these last days, things will escalate. So when I see the, the shock of it all before uh, someone and they're telling me, I can tell them that we have someone who's already overcome the world. And, he, and everything that the enemy has thrown at you, Jesus is sufficient. And so I meet the individual person, and they are a person to me, not a victim, but they are one who are conquerors. And so when I meet the individual, I let them know that there is hope even in the midst of suffering. We have to just make sure that I, I encourage them is that you already have entered into a phase of, of suffering and a phase of uh, a sorrow, but you don't have to go and get a chosen sorrow, mm. that you don't have to keep heaping these things on yourself because at this moment, you are not in that moment. You are remembering a past. And in, in the way you're going to keep that past from being in your present is to get the past is perfect, is a specific place. And it's not in the present. So we're going to look back at something before we can, we can go forward. We're going to look back forward and see the hope that's in it. And if you don't have a hope that what you have been through is not going to be in your tomorrow forever, you're going to stay back there. So I help an individual keep from going back there with the sense of being stuck. Now, you're going to go back there, but I'm going to go back there with you, and I'm going to take off layers of pain so that you can see how Jesus is working in and in through that situation, even if you're not even saved. And I don't want to give an individual the impression that, okay, I'm not saved, so this is for me. The hope extends to whosoever will. So now speak on that, Maggie, because um, oftentimes, and this is happens in Christendom, we blanket the problems of the world. Of course, we know this that Jesus is the answer for any problem that you're going through. I mean, that goes without saying. We in the church who have been in the church who have been born again and they've accepted his son as our savior, we understand that Jesus Christ is the right to all the wrong, mm -hmm. okay? But I think that there's a, there's a misconception in the church to where we at times over-spiritualize issues while first wanting to try to get the person out of harm's way first. Yeah. Let's get them out of harm's way first. Absolutely. And then minister to that person. I think that the, the problem with the church is that we go into these particular issues with a spiritual bullseye. Mm -hmm. I got to get you saved. They got to get you saved. And we want to get them saved. Mm -hmm. No doubt about that. Mm -hmm. But I think what we have to do better is we have to address the problem first. Let's get them out of harm's way. Mm -hmm. Let's get them out of whatever issue that they may be in. Let's mm -hmm. deal with that first. And then once they're out, quote unquote, we can console them right. with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is mm -hmm. the right to all the wrongs of the world. Mm -hmm. So in this regard, um, Maggie and Sister Nakia, we um, I don't know if we're going to, you know, solve the, the, the problems of sex trafficking within an hour and 15 minutes, mm -hmm. but it is a real problem. And here's the underlying problem that we never talk about. It's in the church. Yes. yes. Um, there are people that are being trafficked inside of the church. 
Um, there was a, a news story last year uh, in the Catholic Church where a priest was trafficking uh, boys out of a Catholic diocese. Mm-hmm. The, the unfortunate truth about when the world seeps into the church. So let me ask you a question. Um, is, it, is it that old style where women are forced into this area of sex trafficking? Or is it sometimes a choice that is being made? Sometimes it is a choice. Sometimes, most of the time it's force. Anytime you're doing something against your will, it's force. But if I make the choice to do it and you're not forcing me to do it, it's a different situation. I mean, it's still all tied to the same thing. And I want to um, add to what you were talking about. Um, one thing I realized is you can't heal from what you don't reveal. That's the number one thing. Mm. Because what I realize is that God uses that thing that the enemy tried to destroy you with that made you feel so shameful to talk about, that dirty little secret. That's what God uses to bless you. And that's where Romans eight twenty eight come in. Mm. Because all things do work together for good. All things, the good and the bad. That thing that the enemy tried to destroy me with was um, trafficking and prostitution. And I was so shame and dirty and didn't want to the molestation. If I don't talk about it, I can't heal from what I don't talk about. And you have to have people with compassion. You can't come and, oh, you know, this is what you have to do, this, 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 that. How can you tell me if you haven't been through the same thing I haven't been through? You understand what I'm saying? And one thing I can say is that everybody was created for a purpose, That's the main thing is finding out what your purpose is. And that's what the enemy doesn't want. He wants to use that thing that's so shameful and so dirty to where, okay, I'm going to die with the shame. I'm I'm nobody. I'm nothing. No. You have to talk about it. Don't be ashamed. And there's a lot of boys, too, that are being trafficked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of boys. But because the stigma that society has put on homosexuality, they don't want to talk about it. They're too ashamed to talk about it, you know. And so if you don't talk about something, all you're going to do is just, it's going to spread and spread and spread, and it's going to go from generation to generation to generation to generation. And so when the, when the Bible talks about um, that we as a society, in Genesis chapter number three, when sin entered into the world, mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I love about the Bible, and we talk about the authenticity of the Bible and how we prove that the Bible is true, is that the Bible does not hide the character flaws of the people that it mentions. And so everybody in the Bible, you know, God doesn't run away from what they did. David murdered somebody. Um, you know, you have uh, Rahab, who was a prostitute. You got Matthew, who was a thief. You got all these people, but God never hides their sin. Mm-hmm. He puts them front and center and says, this is what they're dealing with, and this is how I'm going to use them in spite of what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But that's that's from a biblical perspective. When you're talking about something like um, sex trafficking, there is a stigma that is attached to it. Mm-hmm. And how do you overcome the stigma of sex trafficking? You gotta address it where it is. It's a lie. And the only thing, you, you have to expose a lie. The stigma is... Um, this is what it looks like. This is what it's always going to look like. So therefore, when you see it, this is it. And when you have something that is changing, a constant change, you cannot put a, a def- definition on it as far as identification. You got to always be looking at, 
how someone is, is seen, someone is portrayed. So when we have human trafficking from the sense that um, it's, this is what, this is, it's become your identity, and this is how you're going to always be, you will always be um, uh, a, a victim, you're going to always uh, be struggling with this, you're going to always be right here. Well, that's, that is a lie. Mm-hmm. Because when we look at what, what Jesus is saying, he's changing us from glory to glory. Now, if he's using everything that we've gone through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, then why do we have to stay in the ugly? Why, when do you get to the light? When do you shine? When do you start uh, living out the hope that he promises? Well, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, just consider that the words that he's saying could be true. You know, even if you're not saved, you've come through a very dramatic situation in your life where lies have been... Um, the, the, the food of the day. But just think, what if what Jesus is saying is true? That there is hope, that there is a is way. Jesus wants to meet you right where you are, right in the pain of the moment. He wants you to meet you, meet you at the, the pain of your path. And he's going to bring you to a level where you begin to uh, see little bit by little that I can, I, I can make it. If I, if, if I can um, keep from going back to something I'm familiar with and, 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 and I know that it gets me what I want, I can, I can see that there might be another way. And that's what we are about doing is giving everybody hope. You, you want to have hope. And, and let's say you're on the other side of, of the human trafficking. Let's say that you're the you are the, the one that has been beating up on the, on, on the people. You've beaten up on the girls and the boys and then all those that are there. And, and I remember uh, listening to a testimony of a, of a young man. He had uh, how he came out of being um, uh, in human trafficking on the other side is that he got tired of beating up on the women every day. He had to beat up girls Boys every day. He just got tired of it. So let's see that. Let's let's consider that's what you are. You believe lies too. That this is the way an individual is to be treated. But now truth comes in and says there is hope. You weren't made for that. You weren't created for that. You were created for something grander, better. And let's consider that Jesus says has a truth about that too. So you just begin to listen a little bit more and you begin to consider that, well, maybe there is hope. Maybe I can get past what I have embraced as going to be my reality and the way I'm going to do life. And and just maybe consider that I haven't been told everything that there is. So let me ask you, um, and Nikia, I'm getting ready to uh, shoot a question your way and I want to set this up. there are some things, um, I've been married for 20 years. I have four children. Two of my oldest kids are in college right now. I have a younger daughter and a, a son that's getting ready to be 18 years old. As a parent that has tried to provide his kids with a firm foundation, um, make sure that they're not wanting for anything, provide a stable uh, lifestyle, I shudder at the fact that my children, my two oldest daughters who are in college, that there's a high likelihood that there are some recruiters on campus, maybe even in the classroom, maybe even in the same dorm rooms. Um, 
I, 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 I shudder at that fact. I, I send forth prayers even as I'm talking to you right now. Um, as a parent, I feel a certain way about that, mm-hmm. right? I think that what we have going on right now is so, so elusive, but yet so pervasive all at the same time that it kind of overwhelms people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an overwhelming thought to think about that. Right to to even imagine somebody that you would love so much to be involved in something that could hurt them so deeply, and I have been on record. I will say it again, even at the risk of being ridiculed and and attacked, that this whole Jeffrey Epstein um, thing that's going on is a whole lot deeper than what people understand. Mm-hmm. I believe this is being affected at political levels, which is why they can pass laws with no problems. And I believe that the stuff that would have been absolutely shunned 20 years ago in the near future will just be commonplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Nikia, you talked about that when you got molested um, in your home, you started to act out in certain ways. Mm-hmm. What are some of the signs that a parent, a loved one, a friend can be looking for to say, hmm, that may be something? It may not be that, but that may be something I need to pay attention to. The way you dress. You're dressing very sexual at a young age. You're, you want to you want to show parts of your body. You may want to show like your your midriff or your legs. You want to show your body wearing makeup, hair, mm. changing your hairstyle to look older than what you are. For me, it was mm. I always wanted to be. It's crazy because at the age of fourteen, I wanted to be twenty one and twenty two, twenty three, and I used to lie and say I was twenty one and twenty two and twenty three at fourteen and fifteen years old. Mm. Yeah. So looking at, so if I got a daughter and somebody's watching out there that's got a daughter and that daughter is dressing provocatively, tight clothes, Mm -hmm. um, um, wearing excessive makeup and all that other good stuff, those may be signs that something is going on that we need to pay attention to. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're looking for attention. Looking for attention. Mm -hmm. Now, Looking for attention. So that's interesting. And I want you to make sure that you guys um, kind of expand on this because um, in the church, I see it often. Mm-hmm. Uh, very 16, 15, um, that are dressing ill appropriate their age. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about from a church setting. So if that's, if that's one of the, the red flags that I need to be looking at and that people need to be looking at, how would you address that if you see your daughter dressing provocatively at 15 years old? Mm-hmm. Like, what's, what's the first step in addressing her once you notice something like that going on? Well, I think one of the first things you want, don't want to say is, is take that off. Because what you, you, you want to approach it in a way that she began to, to, to think about it differently. Now, if she is 10 years old, then yeah, take that off. But she's 16 years old. She has got uh, a little bit more information. So you, you, and she's got a little bit more freedom. You want to approach it from a standpoint of what's the what's the reason behind? What are you after? Uh, who are you attracting? And uh, now that you've done all that, did you get what you want? And after you, she said, "Well, yeah, you know." And how do you feel about that? How do you how do you feel about what you, what you got? And you, what, what are you after? You want her to think deeper than what she's doing. And the more she begins to think deeper that, well, maybe, maybe not, you know, okay, well, maybe I don't. Because the conscience has a, 
It's, it's just perfect. It's there. When you've raised your child differently, you're going to, you've already instilled in her a, a standard that is, that she's embraced to a point. And so you want to know, are you, are you in the standard that, that you have been brought up in? Or have you chosen another? And if you, if you have, let's talk about that. You want to be, when, when a child is, is 15, 16 years old, they've got access to so much. So you want to be able to get inside uh, of their heart and let them see what's going on in their heart. Because if you just say, take that off, then yeah, they may take it off in your presence. Mm-hmm. But it's coming back on when they're out of your presence. So you never want that. You want... Uh, the heart to be addressed from the level that someone began to say, well, okay, we are, I do know. Well, and it reminds me of that old saying that when a parent tells their child to sit down and the child sits down, but he says, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up in my mind. Absolutely. Right. So it's, it's, the, it's that forced uh, assertion. Um, let me ask you, uh, Susan, again, this, there may not be a direct um, correlation to it, but I know in past studies that we've done and even podcasts that we've done, um, the influence of the father plays a big part um, in, 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 a, in a daughter's life, especially a daughter's life. Mm-hmm. Did you have a father growing up? Did you have a male figure in your life growing up that you can trust? And what, what did that look like in your life? Um, I didn't grow up with my biological father. He wasn't in my life. And I think I feel if he was in my life consistently, we used to see him every summer. He, he remarried and moved on. Um, I know if he was in the home, there's no way I would be dressing like that or I'll be because you want that attention from your dad. A father's love uh, is the first love you should have. Your father sets the standard of how you should be treated. OK, say that again. Now, slow down and walk through that. <laughs> Take your time and walk through that. OK, a father's love is the first love that you should have. A father sets the standards of how you should be treated. I didn't have that growing up. My mom was married six times, so she kind of went from man to man to man. Mm. I had stepdads who you're like, okay, whatever. You know, it's it's not the same thing. Um, I know if my dad had been in the house, there's no way I would be dressing that way. Wow. I would act that way because he would have set the standard. He when he, In discipline, he would have taught me. I would have had discipline, and I would have had the love that I was looking for, and I think that's why... I did a lot of things that I did because I didn't have my father's love. Uh-huh. And it's crazy because a baby, the first word is da-da. The first word a baby says uh-huh. is daddy. Not even mommy. When mommy takes care of the baby more, you know. Uh-huh. But a baby's first words are da-da, which is father, you know. And God is, he's first. He's our father. So you have a lot of households now where there is no dad. There's not even a stepfather. Uh-huh. And so you could draw a different line from your dad not being there to some of the ways that you acted out of life. Of course. And looking for the affection that your dad should have shown you in other men. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about that and, you know, we talk about it ad nauseum, but I just I really don't think that that impact is being shown um, and even talked about. I mean, we, we go through all of this stuff, women's lib, you know, mm-hmm, I don't need mm-hmm. no man. I take care of this stuff on my own. And all of this stuff that's going on in the world is contrary to how God created things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we'll, we find ourselves kicking against the goats. But in this thing where you're trying to talk about how do I, how do I identify that this may be a certain action that I need to pay close attention to, mm-hmm. and then how do I approach that person 
to discuss that action. Mm-hmm. Once that is done, what's the follow-up? Well, when you have identified an, an issue that uh, said, okay, well, mom, I am, I'm, I'm hurting, and I have been, been doing that. I have been involved. And college, is, college campuses, high school campuses is just prime. So you can automatically assume there's going, there are some people who are in her classroom and that she's in, in contact with, and they are presumed who, whoever. So just assume that. So when you get to the point where there has been uh, an identification, I am, I am there, then you you got to ask the question, especially of the college student, do you want to stop? Don't and why assume. would that even be a question? Is that Because that might not be... What they want because of money. It could be love. Of, because of their interpretation of love. Okay. And if their interpretation of love is being met um, by uh, their their CEO or their um, their Romeo, then it's a harder thing. It's a harder thing. Or perhaps the inver- the uh, relationship has gotten such that they have found their identity of love within the human trafficking. So it can get to be a layer of things. So what, what are you doing? You are meeting the, your child at their point of need. Do you feel that you still need that? Now, if that child answer, or your child answers, I, 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 I know you're, you're talking truth, but um, he loves me. He really loves me. He doesn't treat me as bad as the other, other people then you got another layer of, of help that needs to go. But if, the, if she says, I do want it, I do want it, don't let her return. You get the authorities involved uh, with that. You don't let her return. And you take, you, you, you're going you're gonna to run some risk. Uh, this is, it can be, the threats can be real, but you're going to run some risk. And you're going to need the authorities to take you through, through those steps. But you get your, your child some help. And you get yourself some help. So that you don't stay in the midst of the pain of it all, but to get in the, in, in the point where, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. Now, I know I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. Let's see how someone else has conquered that. And don't be ashamed to admit that you need help in that area. So, Megan, let me ask you a question then in that, and, and both of you guys feel free to chime in on this. So, okay, so looking at this from step by step, I identify the problem. I interact with the person that I identify the problem with. I build them up. I present some options to this particular person. I stand in agreement with them, walk with them through the process. When we were on the Elijah Rising tour a, a year ago, so we mentioned this last week, um, and we went to literally brothel houses that were across the street from elementary schools, mm-hmm. like known brothel houses where sexual activity is happening, being paid for, that has a city of Houston occupancy permit on the wall. And I think the number was like 500 brothel houses within the greater uh, metroplex of Houston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One literally, not overstating this, Maggie, you were on that same tour, not overstating this, literally a brothel house on every single corner, yeah. on every, hiding in plain sight. They've identified it as a sex trafficking, but yet they have a big stamp that says the city of Houston allows them to have occupancy in this establishment by which we know sex is happening. Is happening. Mm-hmm. 
So when you're talking about trying to get a person out when it is seemingly so easy, how does that work? When you were trying to get out in the kid, what what did that look like? What was the process of you saying, I no longer want to be involved in this lifestyle? Was there a threat to you saying, I'm getting ready to get out? And then lastly, how did you do it? I wanted to get out a lot, but I felt like, okay, how am I going to pay my bills? You know, that's the first thing. I didn't have training or I didn't have a trade or I didn't have education or I didn't have a career that I felt like that's all I could do. You know, I felt like I was trapped. Like you felt like you're just in a, a hole and you it's sinking. Um, for me, it was I went back to school. I got a trade. I got a skill. And even after I did that, and it's not even about that. It's something that's in your, it's a mental, it's like mental slavery. You know, once you can get out of that mental slavery and know that I am better than this, I can do this, I'm, you know, and it takes discipline. That's the one thing you, every day you have to tell yourself, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. But for me, it started for me going back to school when I went back to school and I was able to obtain a skill where I could make money and take care of my child and myself. So now let's let's explore that because this takes me back to Maggie, you being a Christian counselor and I being a Christian counselor. And I was talking to a gentleman a couple of years ago who was unfortunately addicted to drugs. And what seems like an, uh, a cut and dry situation, you're losing, you know, you lost your family, you lost your job, you lost your house, you're losing everything because of this habit. Okay. It's clearly seen by you and everybody around you why don't you just stop? Like, that seems like the easiest question uh, of all to somebody who may be struggling in whatever area of life. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just stop? Mm -hmm. It's clear you're losing so much, mm -hmm. but it's that mental thing. Right. And what he told me was, and it was so simple, even that she said that now, I thought about it. He said, I can't. Mm -hmm. And in that, and just in that statement, he told me, I'm trapped. It's it's up here. Mm -hmm. I know I'm. I know I lost my job. My wife has left me. Um, I'm living under a bridge right now. I'm not disputing the things that I've lost. I know I've lost them because of this drug habit, but I can't stop. Mm -hmm. And so, helping somebody to realize the mental struggle or the mental trap that you have to get out of, I think, is very important. I mean, the Bible is clear about the mind that as a man thinks, so is he. Mm -hmm. We got to transform our mind, which is the hardest thing for everybody to do, not just anybody trapped in sex trafficking or drugs, mm -hmm. but just changing your mind in general is just very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, and both of you guys kind of chime in on that. If you're looking at somebody is um, come across this screen right now, this, this podcast, and they're in. Um, they don't have a gorilla pimp. This is somebody that they love, but they just asked them to do something. One always leads to another ask. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One yes will always lead to another yes. And so they're in this life. Um, what would you say to that person right now that's watching? You know, it's, the, it's possible that you become more comfortable with slavery than any freedom that anyone could offer you. Then it's possible. Mm. Because when we are, when we have placed 
something above God, whether you're saved or not. When you place something above God, it has become your God. And your God requires worship. One of the words that an addict, the, the God addiction, whatever it is, requires is that it wants the word of I can't. I can't live without you. That's a word of worship to that idol. I can't, uh, I, I, I can't break away from this. Who else would want me? And those are words of worship. So when you have learned to say those things to your addiction or to uh, anything that you're in, even in human tra trafficking, when you've learned to worship what you placed above God, you are trapped. So what has, needs to happen is you just need to consider maybe there is someone else that deserves those words as well. And you offer them the truth. Those words that you're giving that addiction, that, uh, that uh, involvement in, in, in your decision to stay in human trafficking, that's an act of worship. But the heart of the matter is you were really created to worship. So let's hold that. Let's explore that. Is there a part of human sex trafficking and those involved in it? Does sexual addiction play a part of human sex trafficking? Absolutely. And we don't, this is the part of us that we don't like to, we don't like to address. Be, but when you have been involved in something to the point that you have become de dependent on it, you are going to justify your reason for staying in it. Because mm -hmm. if not, you're going to try everything that you can to get out of it. Because if you know that this is not what you want, this is, it's not taking you anywhere, you're going to, to try eradicate it. You're going to get out of it. But if you have told yourself, I can't, the, the bills can't be paid without this. If she didn't tell herself that there was another option, she would still be there today mm -hmm. because the money is stable. That's stable money. It's more stable than our in, any, any income is. It's going to be there. Someone is going to pay the price. So when you, you have to tell yourself over and over again that there is another way. There is another, there's a me that I don't know. There is a me that is, has been, that I've uh, suppressed and it has believed lies, it has stayed in it, and I know I can break through from that. The same will we use to stay in an addiction is the same will you're going to use to get out of it. So, Maggie, so let's, I want you to look at this camera, and Nikki, I want you to look at this camera, too, mm -hmm. um, because I believe that there are people that are participating in sex trafficking that don't know that they're participating in it. When they frequent um, strip clubs, they are um, advocating sex trafficking. When they look at pornography, mm -hmm. they are advocating sex trafficking. So there are people that are involved in certain practices that are promoting sex trafficking mm -hmm. without them even knowing that they are promoting sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, when the addiction to pornography, which is a $4 billion a year industry in America alone, has a lot more users in it, right? And so every time that person looks at that particular video and all those likes begin to go up, they don't, um, they don't know that they are advocating 
for the sexual exploitation of sexual trafficking. Mm -hmm. So how does that look like? Like when you're looking at a, and tell me if this is even relevant, and you guys help me out on this, is the things in which I just discussed, is that really a part of this whole ring of sex trafficking, strip clubs, pornography? How do these things actually play a part into sex trafficking? Or even being a gold digger. When you're dating a man, you don't love him, but you're dating him just for money. Mm, That's what people overlook. That's a big problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a big, and it's basically sugar, it's prostitution, but it's sugar-coated. And you feel like, oh, I'm not a prostitute. You know, I'm not standing on the street corner. So the gold digger, and we, we, we hear about that a lot. Songs are made about them a lot, but explain on that. So a gold digger is somebody that is dating a particular person for monetary gain out of that person. Right. So, 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 so speak on that because we don't, I've never thought about that. That actually, that. <laughs> it's crazy because there's a lot of housewives right now that are gold diggers. You don't love that. You know you don't love your husband, but he's providing a certain lifestyle. You're living in that house. You're driving that car. You're shopping at Gucci and Fendi and Prada. But you don't, you can't stand him, but you love his money. (laughs) That's the biggest, to me, that's the biggest, that's the the biggest sex trafficking that's going on. And it's hidden. And you don't even realize it. You don't even see it, you know. Wow. So... There's so many different layers. Man, I wish we had uh, more time. We may do a part three or something. Mm-hmm. But um, so when you're trying to peel back the layers of this thing, mm-hmm. um, as you peel back one layer, there's another one that you didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. This thing goes so deep and is so pervasive. Mm-hmm. Love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. The love of money. Love. The love of money is the only thing that will make you do what you said you'll never do. Mm-hmm. Money is the only thing that can get you to do that. Right. But the Bible talks about Rahab, right? And Rahab was this prostitute of the Old Testament. And she was clearly a woman of the night. The Bible is absolutely specific in that it does not hide it, that this was this woman's lifestyle. We also know that Rahab had a family mm-hmm. uh, that she was providing for. Um, so she was bringing food to the table. So in Rahab's mind, the ends justified the means. Right. Okay, this is what I got to do to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. Is that a pervasive thought of those who are caught in this lifestyle? Exactly. Yeah. So the ends justify the means. So mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I have to sear my conscience, mm-hmm. if I have to go against what I know is true, mm-hmm. but for the end goal of providing for my family, then mm-hmm. that's just what I got to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is that is so? It, and I think that that's going to resonate with a lot of people. How would you encourage somebody? What would you say to that person who is in that spot? Uh, yeah, I would let them know that 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 makes sense. It does make sense. Now say that. It, it, I, it makes know. sense. It really does make sense that I'm doing what I'm doing because I've got needs, and this is supplying my needs. But what else else is it doing to you? Mm, yeah. Is it is it is it just paying uh, your rent? Is it just paying your your um, you, you 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 got uh, cost expenses? You have to continue to doing that. But what else is it doing to you? And you have to got to some kind of store, put that on a scale. Okay, this is it's up here, but then I'm down here. Hmm. And then, but it just, well, I, I just shut that part of me off and I just go and, and, I, and I do. That makes sense too. It does. Deception always makes sense. But the thing about deception, 
you don't know that you've been deceived until you come out of it. Yeah, to after the fact. Yeah. Okay. So you got to begin to meet a person where they are and says, yes, you, you, you need to make at least about, you need to have $4,000 a month to do all your expenses. If you go and work at McDonald's, you're not going to get that. Or you're going to work at McDonald's for the benefits and then you go and do your thing. That's going to make a whole lot of sense. But there's a part of us that has a shame. And I know someone that can take away the very shame of your guilt. And he, and he can resonate with that. But you got to first admit that there is a shame connected to it. Mm. That there is a part of you that is hurting because of the choices that you're making. So you got to acknowledge, first of all, the wrong. You, you right? will never get anywhere until you admit where it is. And that's why you have to ask questions of, in, of individuals rather than assume that what you want is what they want. Because it is possible for you to want more for an individual than what they want for themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. And when you, when, and when you, pro, you um, do that trajectory, you can be totally just talking to yourself. But if the individual has, has come to the conclusion that what I am doing is, is, is justifying what I, the needs that I have for a moment, it's going to be very difficult for you to even break that. Because that's where they have been met with the point of slavery. And you're going to have to get to know the individual, keep praying for the individual, and loving the individual right where they are until there is a breakthrough, if there is a breakthrough. But we are not told that just because we are pursuing, pursuing someone for the love of Christ that they're going to receive that love. All right. So I'm back with my guests, Miss Maggie Johnson and Miss Nakia Vestal. Um, uh, part two of our um, talk about human sex trafficking. And I hope that we've um, dived into some areas and hopefully have uh, shed some light on some things that need to be talked about. Um, this problem is far more reaching than what we want to acknowledge. And I believe we got to begin to initiate those conversations first in the house, in our own homes, mm -hmm. with our own kids, talking about those things in a very real way, but also addressing these things from a church perspective inside of the house of God. Because I know at times we think we are shielded um, from the cares and the concerns of the world, but it is pervasive in the house of God as well. So, Ms. Nikki, I want to give you a couple of minutes um, to talk about your exit strategy. Mm -hmm. um, when you decided enough is enough, I'm ready to get out of this, I'm ready to do something different, what were those steps that you took um, in order to get out of human sex trafficking? Um, I had to figure out what it was I wanted to do with my life because I know if I would have continued, I don't think I would be alive right now. Mm. And looking at my children, you know, once my son, I remember when he was probably seven years old and I had a trick because that's what we call him. You know, we called him tricks and he was giving me money. And when my son was trying to hustle him for money as well, mm then I realized, what am I doing? You know, what am I teaching my children? What am I teaching my son? What kind of man do I want my son to grow up to be? And um, for me, it was, okay, it's something my grandmother always taught me. I know I didn't want to work in a corporate office. So I didn't, I, I could always, I love making women look pretty. You know, she's always say, girl, you missed your calling. You should have went to beauty school. That's what I did. I went back to, I went to cosmetology school. Mm. And from there, I was able to be around like my teachers and, and my and class other classmates who were 
on the same path as me and I wasn't around the girls in the life anymore who, you know, I had to change my circle of people yeah. as well. So you change your surroundings. I changed my surroundings. And that had a big impact on you having the ability to get out. I think right. that's a, a great word. And that's sometimes maybe the biggest challenge is getting out from that environment. But one of the easiest ways to do that, and not the easiest way, but one of the first steps is changing the people that you hang around. Mm-hmm. Um, getting some different mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. and some different uh, <laughs> positive energy in your way. Um, Sister Maggie, um, this podcast goes across on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, TikTok, um, all of that stuff right now. And there may be somebody that has come across this podcast. Mm-hmm. God set them there. And they're in this lifestyle. They're in it. What would you tell them if they're thinking about getting out? How would they do it? You know, to realize that, that uh, there are organizations that are just waiting on you to embrace you right where you are, uh, no, no judgment in hand, none of that, just to, um, to help you rewrite your story. Or, or give your story a, a different a different ending. I think of the Landon, which is a um, a, fa- a facility that operates right off of on Bissonette, uh, in the prime uh, in the prime area, and they offer uh, counseling. They offer food. They offer uh, uh, access to uh, a safe place to stay, uh, education, and uh, employment opportunities. So they are they're prepared for that. Then I think of Elijah Rising that has all of that on a much grander scale. Um, and I think of um, like, like uh, Love 146, which they're into uh, addressing the needs in the home life that, that helps with uh, educating your children. How do you have this conversation with your, uh, your grade schooler and, and on up? How do, what am I looking for? <clears throat> How do I do it in a way, <clears throat> excuse me, that is, uh, that is serious, but I don't put them in a panic mode. So they, they go through all that. Then I think of uh, Rescue Us, which all of these are, are, are organizations that people who have exited the life, they've, they've been there. So they know where you are and they're going to help you right where you are to get you to the place where you want to be. And I think of um, uh, the, the hotline. If you see something, if you see the, a white van that's approaching or it, it's a few men get out and what have you, you can you do the 888-3737-888 number. You, that's just the way it's easier for me to remember. That's the international um, uh, human trafficking hotline. Uh, and, of course, you know, 911. That's why it's so important that um, people be, be aware be aware, in, in churches especially, because we are, we are a beacon of, of light in the community, and we need to be uh, aware of what, we, uh, of what are, uh, we're up against and how to approach it in a loving way and not shun it because we, we see the elephant in the room and it isn't entirely too big. We're going we're gonna to take him down just one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would encourage them to, to consider those organizations. You can al- always... Um, Google, Google uh, human trafficking, and a, and a myriad of information will, will come up. But those organizations, what I'm a, I'm familiar with, I think of uh, Freedom Church Alliance, which is a is, is a, an organization that is 
a part of uh, which Bethel is, is a member, and they are a part of uh, being a coalition of churches that are united to be trained. They train on Go Box training. They, they have special speakers. They deal with organizations like uh, Love People Not Pixels that deal with uh, individuals caught in uh, pornography and what that does. Uh, they are aggressive in, 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 uh, in approaching the from a male's uh, point of view. They don't leave anything out because these are individuals that have dealt with uh, pornography and, in their own life. And so they are approaching the, the men mainly, women too, at the level of where they know they are and let them know there is another way. That jail, for the most part, to, uh, to them is not the answer. It is, is coming alongside someone and giving them an option, letting them know that there is an option. And what you, are, what you have done can still be forgiven and that you are an individual that is still loved, that is still uh, have a purpose. If you are alive and breathing, you have a purpose, whether you have been, what other side of human trafficking you've been on. So, Miss Nakia, I would like you to look right there at that camera, mm-hmm. and I want you to talk to that person who says, I can't get out, and tell that person something that would encourage them. I would say you can get out. I know if I can do it, you can do it. I felt like I didn't have, there was times I felt like I couldn't get out. I was trapped. I was stuck. But every day, God gives you grace. Every day when you wake up, every day it's a chance to change. You just have to find out what it is that you want to do. Like, what was your dream as a child? What did you want to do? You can still go, you can still be a doctor. You can still be a lawyer. You can still do what it is that you want to do without selling your soul, selling your body, because that's not what God put you here for. I'm sorry, I had like a little brain freeze, but um, and it's one day at a time. Don't feel like, because you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to see, oh, what's going to happen, this and that. You just have to take it one day at a time and discipline. It took me discipline because now that I'm out of the life, I went back to school. I started working for a company. I realized I don't like to work for people. I didn't have to, you know, work for people when I was doing my dirt. Now I'm self-employed. I work for myself. It takes discipline, and I'm a productive member of society now, and I love it. And I'm at the point where I want to give back. I want to help. There are organizations. There's another organization that Maggie didn't mention. It's been there, done that, and they helped me because I was able to get in a group setting and talk about it. When you can talk about what you've been through, when you can talk about that dirt, that shame with other people who've been through what you've been through, that's a part of your healing. That's what helped me. Um, so you just got to figure it out what you want to do. And there's hope. I'm hope walking. I'm telling you, if I could do it, you can do it. So Miss Maggie Johnson and Miss Nakia Vessel, thank you so very much. I want to uh, thank all of those who have joined in. And I want to give if you're out there right now, um, Miss Maggie and Miss Nakia gave you some very um, great organizations that you can uh, find out more information if you're trying to get out of that lifestyle. But I also want to give you a very practical number. I want you to call 713-729-0125. That's the Church of Bethel's family. 
Um, we have people on staff that are able to help you, and we can connect you to other individuals and other organizations that can help you get out of this. God has a plan for you, Jeremiah 29 and 11, and those plans are to prosper you and they are not for your harm. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you may ask or think. Your problems, your past do not define you. Don't put a period where God wants to put a comma. And I want you to be encouraged. If God is for you, it's more than the entire world against you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the set of Studio B. Make sure you go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment, and Lord, say the same. We will see you next week. God bless you.